Hello, friends. I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. Today, we're here to talk about The Stars Are Legion by Cameron Hurley, Squirrel Girl Volume 3 by Erica Henderson and Ryan North, and the first season of The Expanse, which airs on sci-fi and is based on the book series The Expanse by James S.A. Corey. But first, a reminder that Anna is soon going to be going far away from us, across the world. Don't cry. I'll be back. I hope somebody makes that into like a ringtone or a notification sound and send it to us. Because I need that as like a text notification. You're welcome. And also, I have two shout outs to give. The first one is to Charlotte, who you can find on Twitter at Tambourine. Charlotte is a very, very strong supporter of our show. And I really, really appreciate how often she shouts us out and lets people know how much she likes what we do here. So, Charlotte, thank you very much. Thank you. The second is Allie, who is on Twitter at KyrieTree. I'm going to pretty mispronounce your Twitter name. I'm so sorry. I'm the worst at pronouncing things. Recently, Allie gave us a nice shout out as part of the March event called Tripod. It was a month-long event that a bunch of mostly professional podcasts, I think, who get paid to do this, did to spread the word about podcasts in general, because apparently a lot of the regular population doesn't know about podcasts, which is sad because podcasts are great. You should hear me trying to explain to my mother and my sister what I do on these days where I am mysteriously recording. And I thought, it's like a radio show, but online. That's the closest I could try to explain to my mother. I just say it's online radio. Exactly, yeah. I really appreciate that Allie included us in her wreck. It was the first tripod wreck I think we got this month, with the hashtag attached anyway. I'm sure other people wreck us all the time, but I just wanted to give her a nod for including us on the hashtag, because it's going all around the internet. So with that out of the way, let's get into the show. It's been a few weeks, so it's time to revisit the media we have consumed in the last little while. Anna, what have you been reading and watching? No, usual caveat, I don't watch or read as much as you do. <laughs> Lately, though, I have talked about it already. It's Vikings. I am a little bit obsessed. We finished watching seasons three and four, and we have nothing left. I am so bereft. I walk around the house, and then I bump into Russell, my partner, and we look at each other, and we both go, Ragnar Lothbrok. <laughs> and then we keep repeating the names, Athelstan, Rolo. And we try to use, like, the accents they use in the show. And we just keep repeating the names around the house. I just miss it so much, guys. It's just such a good show. The acting's superb. I just... I can't wait for season five. When does season five start? We don't have a date yet. But I know it will be 20 episodes. Which you will consume in, like, two days. It depends. Do I watch as it airs or do I wait until everything has been done and then just binge it? I think I'll probably wait and binge it because that's just the way I do it now. 
The other thing that I started last week is a new podcast, and I found this recommended by a Brazilian friend of mine. It's four Brazilian women who live in the UK, and they are from Ceará, which is in the northeast of Brazil, and it's hilarious. Today, walking home, I was just almost rolling and falling on the road because I was laughing so much I had to stop walking because I couldn't anymore. It was so hilarious. It's called Chá com Rapadura. Unfortunately, it's in Portuguese, so it means that most of you will not be able to listen to it, but to our Brazilian listeners, Thaisa, tô falando com você, definitely listen to it. It's really good. And it's all about like politics and life in the UK, and it's really good. Anyway, the other thing that I've been doing is reading pretty consistently the Night Watch miniseries within Discworld by Terry Pratchett. I've read the first two, Gods, Gods, and Men at Arms, and I'm going to continue it nonstop because I just I realized that life is too short. And why am I saving the books that I most want to read for a time in the future that might not come? Thank you, 45. This is on you. <laughs> I've been enjoying that. I'm going to read Feet of Clay very soon. The other thing that I watched, I went to the movies to see Logan. The new X-Men movie with Wolverine. Well, it's not in, it's not new anymore. It's been out a few weeks. And it was brilliant. It was everything that I loved about those characters of Wolverine and Professor X. And in a way that was a really good way of saying goodbye to Onira. And it's bittersweet. It's very violent. It's probably the most violent X-Men movie. But I loved it to bits. And the last thing, I gave Iron Fist a try. But I do not wish to talk about it. Well, that's a review. It's bad. But anyway, I slept through a couple of episodes. So on top of everything, it's also boring. I mean, I don't know what they expected. The reviews are pretty bad for it. Pretty consistently bad. Well, you know what they say about data. Once you have an aggregate and you look at the average. On Netflix, it's two stars. So that's pretty bad. Anyway, those are my stuffs. What about you? What do you have for us? I have been reading a lot of One Piece because I'm doing a read-along at Barnes & Noble for the 20th anniversary of One Piece. Yes, this manga has been running for 20 years and it's still going. I read the big omnibus editions, which have three volumes in them. So because they have three volumes in them, I'm sort of burning through a lot of One Piece. The most recent one I finished was volume 16. It's volume It's volume 16 out of? 81. That's a commitment. It is. I love One Piece, though. It's so good. I also took a wreck and read Space Battle Lunchtime by Natalie Reese. I don't remember who wrecked this to me. Was it you? No, I don't even know what that is. Who recommended me Space Battle Lunchtime? I need you to email me and tell me because I need to talk to somebody about that cliffhanger. Holy moly. Space Battle Lunchtime is about a girl who's a baker on Earth and aliens come down and take her to perform in a cooking show on a space station. So all the other contestants are aliens and she's cooking with aliens foods and it's basically like Iron Chef in space. Hold on, is that a book? It's a graphic novel by Oni Press. It is super cute. You would love it. Oh my god, I haven't heard of it. Thank you. Thank you. And to the other person who recommended it to you, too. I got to the end and the cliffhanger just 
It just got me. I, I was like, what? I can't in there. I need to know what happens. It's so sad. I need to know what happens. I need to know how they're going to resolve everything. I'm so, yeah, anyway. This is a comic for kids. But I love the art. It reminded me of, like, watercolors. It's so pretty. So the second volume comes out soon, and I'm there. I finished a whole bunch of books. I read The Tears We Cannot Stop by Michael Eric Dyson. He is a preacher and a political commentator. He wrote this book that is basically a sermon to white people about our treatment of black people in America. It was really good and really visceral. And if you want to read like a personal account from a black person, I would definitely point you toward this. Even though it's couched in a lot of religious language, I think it's really accessible. It was accessible to me, and I'm an atheist, so I didn't have any problems with it at all. And I'm definitely going to read some of his other stuff, too, after this, because he's got several books. And then I was on Goodreads, and somebody I follow added this book called The Lawrence Brown Affair by Cat Sebastian, and this was basically a Regency romance with men. And I was like, well, I need to break up the monotony of all my science fiction and fantasy stuff. It'll clear my palate. So I went and I bought this book and I read it in like six hours. <laughs> I blew my sleeping schedule. It's not good sleep hygiene, guys. Bad news. It's about this rich lord who is kind of a hermit and how he hires a secretary to come help him get his house in order and how his secretary is actually, like, a crook, and how the secretary ends up redeeming both of them. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> I definitely recommend it, because immediately after finishing it, I bought the other one called The Soldier Scoundrel, which is about s characters in the universe, and read that one too. So now I have to wait till July for her to publish something else. I've read everything she has. So because I got on this little romance kick... I went ahead and read some other romance, too. I read two Tessa Dare novels, When a Scott Ties the Knot, and Do You Want to Start a Scandal? I definitely appreciated Do You Want to Start a Scandal more. I found When the Scott Ties the Knot to be really badly written, which is sad, because I love the premise, which is this girl makes up a boyfriend so she doesn't have to go to her season. She writes him all these letters, and then years and years later, he shows up. <laughs> but she made him up, so how is he there? So anyway, the premise was great. The writing left something to be desired, even though the story itself was pretty cute. But Do You Want to Start a Scandal was my favorite of the two Tessa Dare novels I read. So now I've read four romance novels. Also, Kay gave me like eight zillion wrecks, so I'm good for a while. I also read Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which is a super cute queer YA novel by Becky Albertalli. And then I read two nonfiction books. One was Pandemic by Sonia Shy, which I don't recommend if you are, you know, squicky about germs. Because this book was all about cholera and how it spreads. Cholera can be a huge problem in Brazil from time to time. And it talks about the history of cholera around the world and how a lot of governments just didn't give a shit. So in case you're, like, watching the current government in the U.S., like, roll back environmental protections and stuff, uh, well, I guess maybe prepare for some outbreaks of things because we're not taking care of our environment or regulating our companies. Mmm. Capitalism. And then I also read Rise of the Rocket Girls by Nathalia Holt, and I was not impressed with this book. I like to read about the history of the space programs, but this one did not do it for me. It's a good place to start if you're a beginner, though. If, if you need a light-touch storytelling type of 
book to get you into the history, to give you like an introductory path forward. I think this is a really good book, but it wasn't good for me because I've read too many like heavy histories that are very academic already. So to me, it was just kind of like fluff. I've read a lot of stuff. This is amazing. Well, to be fair, the romance novels read really fast for me. When I used to read only romance novels, I would get through one per day. And that's how I could read 300 in a year. They are so delicious, though. Those ones that you mentioned by Cat Sebastian, is that the name? Mm-hmm. I love, I love that trope of the reclusive ward and the secretary that's a scoundrel. Oh, it's the best. I loved both of her books. I really cannot believe that. Don't wait till July. Maybe we should read one of them for the podcast, because if they are independent, like romance novels usually are, like it's, it's a couple, it's a new couple per book, right? So we, maybe we can read the new one. Signed up. I'm on board. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> The Stars Are Legion is a 2017 novel by Cameron Hurley, released by Saga Press. I find this novel really hard to summarize. It's about a plot to save the universe where these two people belong. They have a plan. One of them is following through her side of the plan. The other one has no memory because as part of that plan, she needs to keep throwing herself at one of the ships. But every time she comes back, she has no memory, has to start over. And this is another one of the mysteries of the novel. Why does she lose the memory and how? But she knows that there is also a plan and she has to do something. Okay, first I want to talk about the marketing for this book. Because this is marketed as space opera. And I am now that pedantic asshole who's like, this is not space opera. Like, the only time anybody ever goes into space is to die horribly. Right. It's a difficult one. Okay, let's start a fight. This is planetary <laughs> romance, at best. This is, for me, is grim dark fantasy in space. It's not even in space, though. They're in space, like, three times. Four, maybe? Well, I guess. I guess. I mean, fantasy is technically in space because they're on a planet that's in space. <laughs> to that point, so are we. We are also in space. It's not so much about space as it is these worlds. So that's why I'm calling it planetary romance. To compare, Kate Elliott also has some planetary romance like Geron. It's set in the far future. There are spaceships, there's space travel, but the majority of that book is on a planet with these people who don't know that space travel is a thing. So it becomes planetary romance. Planetary romance is what I call, like, fantasy in space. And this is why I think it's grimdark fantasy. It reads much more as fantasy than it does as science fiction to me, especially because of the trappings. It has very specific, trope-tastic fantasy trappings. There is a quest, there is a mission, there is the ragtag team of misfits that assemble to go on a mission together to do X thing. And there's the magical objects that they need to find on their quest in order to save the world. And because it's very dark, to me, it reads much more like fantasy than it does science fiction, even though it's very much in the future. Or is it though? Or is it just in a galaxy far, far away? Are these people humans even? Is it so much in the future that humans have mutated so much to, to something else? 
or were they never even humans in the first place? Although there is one point in the book that they actually mention the word human, so I would think that they probably are. I'm not sure I would agree with Grimdark. This book reminded me a lot of a book we read before called Viscera. It also reminded me of a book called The Vagrant by Peter Newman, which I loved, which was definitely like super dark, super gory. But there was this core of optimism and hope at the middle of it that kept it from being grimdark. The character who leads the book is just a really good person, so that saves it from being grimdark. Because I associate grimdark with kind of like an asshole main character, which I guess maybe you could argue that Jade is, but Zan isn't. No, this is why I was saying that maybe it could be argued that it isn't grimdark. It's Kraftsack for sure. Yeah, because I agree with you. Because there is an element of hope. There is a very specific arc that follows Zen through changing, through becoming a new person, through this whole thing of losing her memories and have to start over. And every, and this last time that she's doing it, she's just becoming a new person and aggregating new people to her small family. At the end of this book, there is a very strong element of found family there in which she has found love and loyalty between people and she wants to keep that. And that I found was really uplifting and hopeful. And this is how I, I maybe I agree that this is not exactly grim, dark fantasy, although it's very, very, very dark. Yeah, this is a super gory book. It's about or, like organic material. There's fluids and blood and shit. And it's just real gross. Yes, because the ships are organic. They are made of a, of a living thing. And the people that inhabit those ship worlds, they are able to get pregnant and give birth to whatever the ship needs. And that could be a gear, for example. And that was a, a really interesting part of the world building because there are only female characters in the book and there is no mention whatsoever of any other gender. I read a lot of reviews for this book, and a lot of the people just didn't seem to realize that parthenogenesis was a thing. But I think um, maybe a mistake is thinking of women in this book as women in the human sense, because mm -hmm. there's a symbiotic relationship between the women in the Legion and these world chips. They've developed this symbiotic relationship where the women need the worlds to survive. The worlds need the women to create parts for them. Mm -hmm. So that's what triggers... The pregnancies. Yeah. The women survive because the world survives. Therefore, the women produce for the world. I can't not think about it. Okay. So then do we see them as female in the very binary sense of female? Do we see them as something else? What happened to other genders? What happened to guys? What happened to trans people? What happened to non-binary people? Is this a development? Is it like a mutation? Were they always like this? And is everybody a lesbian? What about other possible sexualities? Yeah, that's where the marketing for this book kind of fell down for me. Lesbians exist because there are other sexualities. So the fact that there's no other sexualities in this book means that this whole lesbians in space thing that's going around, I'm like, okay, I mean, I see where you're coming from because we're reading this book from our perspective and our knowledge of culture. So we're going to read that relationship 
between Zan and Jade and Jade and Rosita as a lesbian relationship, but I'm not quite sure if I would say internal to the world building that that would be how they would have self-identified. So you have the reader would identify them that way, but the characters, I don't think, would identify themselves that way. Because it's the only thing, right? So I just think it's a really interesting piece of world building. Okay, when you say it's an interesting piece of world building, do you think it's a problematic piece of world building? Because I can't make my mind up. I can, I can tell you if there is erasure going on there. I don't think so. I don't read erasure specifically because maybe if we saw anybody else, but we don't. I read it as the evolution of this world that has these ships in it, the evolution of the Legion itself has led to this culture. If there's erasure happening, it was evolutionary instead of cultural. So you have cultural erasure, which is a dominant culture, erases, oppresses, subdues a different part of a different part of the culture that they don't want to have power, be dominant. But here, I think where you have evolutionary erasure, it just means that the people on the Legion evolved to be female because the world needed females to produce parts to maintain the worlds. There's a really interesting discussion about choice and freedom when it comes to that as well. Because Zun is constantly fearful that when am I going to get pregnant? What is going to happen to me? Am I going to get pregnant? And... Because to her, everything is new, because remember, she has no memory. In many ways, she works as a conduit for the reader, because everything is new to us, too. So she's able to ask those questions that we are asking ourselves. So how much of a choice is there? Because these people did just get pregnant whenever they are walking around. They, oh, whoops, I am pregnant. I'm about to give birth. And she gives boxes a gear. And there is this really awful thing with people getting attached to whatever they give birth and then having to give it away. And then we go back to the topic of oppression. And if it's evolutionary, then it's still oppressing women in a way. And that's why what Zan and Jade are trying to do, which is to break free from the Legion, it's so important because in a way they are breaking free of oppression. I really loved this book, Renee. I really, really did. I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> I realized that I just said that someone just gave birth to a gear and then had to give it away. And people were fighting oppression and dying. Lots and lots and lots of people get killed in this book. Like, lots. But I really loved it. And it's actually the first Cameron Hurley book that I've been able to finish and like. And I loved the romance that turns out to not be a romance anymore. Yeah, I liked that part a whole lot because the reading I took away from this book is that even if you care for someone, once they hurt you, you can break that cycle. You can choose to break the cycle. And I liked that Zan kept throwing herself back into the cycle over and over and over and over again until the end. And then she chose at the very end to step out of that cycle with her and Jade. That seems really familiar to me as somebody who survived a lot of abusive relationships. Because you can keep going back. You can keep making excuses. You can stay. But what's going to happen if you keep doing that? Like, is there ever a point at which it's just too much? You've been hurt too badly to ever make a space for that person in your life anymore. And I really, really liked that angle. 
because it felt very much like, yeah, you can leave. It was very empowering. You can step out of the cycle of abuse and choose to say no. So even though Zan and Jade share the viewpoint narrative, there is alternating chapters. Would you say that Zan is the real protagonist of this novel? Because she's the one that went through a bigger change? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Jade lies a whole lot, and she's also overconfident, so much so that she gets herself into a lot of trouble and costs the lives of a lot of people just because she's so arrogant. She's so attached to this goal that she has that the ends justify the means no matter what. And because of that, she's kind of unreliable, which I know is your favorite. It is. Did you just break your mic saying it is? Yes, <laughs> I just broke my mic. It is. It is so my favorite. It's definitely one of my favorite things about this novel. So Zen doesn't have her memory, so that's how she's unreliable. But Jade does. And I still can't tell, as I read through, like what politics were true, what motivations were true because hers were so muddled and lacked so much empathy for mm -hmm. other people she was just thinking about survival and the plan that was her goal and there was no room for anything else and that was the lesson that zen learned that jade didn't at this point at least zen reached a point where no one's left behind and jade is like everyone is expendable I liked how this book played with memory, even though that was a big trope. The amnesia-suffering protagonist. But I liked how this book pulled memory apart. One of the questions I came away from this novel with was, does memory create who we are? And what does it mean when you choose to forgo your memory? Can you create yourself anew without it? Or can you create yourself anew even if you have it? Like, how much does memory make us? who we are. I would say all of it. I think the greatest example of this is Peter Pan. Hear me out. Okay. You remember in Peter Pan how Peter never grows up. He's the boy that lives forever as a boy. But he also doesn't remember things. He keeps forgetting that he goes back for Wendy. And in the end, Wendy grows up and he never realizes because he doesn't remember her. And this is why he never grows up. Because he has no memory. And if you don't have any memories, you don't have a strong sense of self. You don't mature. You don't learn from lessons. So that was my biggest takeaway from Peter Pan. Okay, so how does that apply to Zan, who chooses over and over and over, it seems, to return to her and Jade's plan without her memory? Because obviously it's a choice, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. She just keeps choosing not to get her memory back. Because if she keeps her memory, she will grow out of it. And that's why she always chooses Jade over herself. That's what she effectively does every time she chooses to lose her memory. She chooses Jade, not her. In the end, she chooses to keep her memories, to know everything that happened. And then she grows. She grows. She becomes a better human. Because she's able to retain all the memories of what she has done during that life that she lived. She decides that she doesn't want to forget the experiences she had during her track, her journey, the friends that she made. And she didn't want to forget the betrayal as much as it hurt. And then she grows up. She grows out of it. I'm loving this book more and more. It was sure a book. It exists as a book. It sure is a book. Oh my god. You don't like it. How many... Oh, 
I don't even want to ask. How many space views are you going to give it? Five. I was going to give it four, but after our discussion and the realizations that I just made, I'm giving it five. <laughs> I'm giving it three. So you didn't like it that much? I mean, I liked it okay. I think I need to come to accept that I don't like fluids. I don't like gore. I don't like body horror. I'm not into wombs and Cameron Hurley, apparently that's her thesis in lots of her books. Let's talk about wounds. All right. Yes, sure. But I'm not into it. It's not a thing for me to be into. But if I come across it, as we have recently in Vistra and now with this, it appears that I'm not too bothered by that type of horror. Now I'm really curious for you to read The Vagrant and see what you think of it. I do have a copy staring at me. It's very long, but I still think maybe you should read it and tell me what you think. Because although I ended this novel really liking Zan and the fact that she chose a much less cutthroat future for herself, I had a lot of trouble just getting past the gore in this book. There's a reason I did not go into like nursing or veterinarian school. There's a reason, and it's not just because my mom banned me from going into the medical field. Are you not able to skim or not visualize? No. Because for me, it's very it's very easy to not necessarily skim, but I'm not a very visual reader, so I don't create things in my mind. So I don't like... I don't know how I would read like that. I visualize everything. Everything. I can see how that would be a problem with this novel and Vistra. There was this scene in this novel where they climbed into an artery... And all the stuff in the artery came pouring down on them. <laughs> chocolate. Just picture it as chocolate. <laughs> and now I'm going to picture eating bodily fluids. Thank you. This is the first novel of Cameron Hurley's that I've read since God's War. So I really liked the writing here. That was really well done. Which is probably why I was so fucking grossed out the whole time. Ugh. <sighs> I really liked it. I think it's possible this might be one of my favorite books of the year at the end of 2017. That's a really huge surprise. I am surprised too, yeah. No, I'm not surprised because you loved Visra and I got 50 pages into this book and I'm like, fuck it, I was going to love the shit out of this. I knew it. I called it. I did. I really did love it. The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Volume 3, Squirrel, You've Really Got Me Now, by Erica Henderson and Ryan North, is the third volume of the super popular and excellent Squirrel Girl. This volume was about time travel. Yeah. Right up Anna's alley. I'm tippy-toe this entire volume. I'm the massive downer, like, lecturing people about paradoxes. <laughs> I like how self-aware it was and made fun of other time travel stories, picking up on tropes and things that tend to happen and just rolling with it. That was really fun. Time travel never makes much sense to me if I focus too hard on it, but I am okay with it in this case because Doreen defeated time travel. Time travel against her will, in fact, with the power of friendship. Her and Nancy are so great. And, of course, other Squirrel Girls. That was my favorite part. If you have been reading Squirrel Girl for any amount of time, there was an old 
appearance as Squirrel Girl, her first appearance that they reprinted as part of a previous volume, where Squirrel Girl de- defeats Doctor Doom by covering him in squirrels, like a big ball of squirrels. They mirror that in this one by Doreen time traveling over and over and over again until there's just a huge ball of Squirrel Girls. It's so good. And herself as an older lady, which was just so brilliant when she showed up. And they were so cool. She was still the same. The first issue of this is not about time travel specifically, but it is about Nancy meeting Doreen's mom and fighting a robot, which basically ends up with them having a robot pal. Okay, listen, there's a robot pal in this. I don't know how I'm not supposed to love it because they make a robot pal out of Nancy's phone. They restore him to life. And then they send him to college. One of my favorite parts of that issue was the fact that they put a little badge on him that says human. I know. The little touches that Erica Henderson puts on her art in this is so brilliant. There was the human badge. There was the small touches on that big spread that we got where the future has changed because Doom has taken it over. And all the Doom bots are around the city. But there's a little tiny Waldo. Yeah, that I was going to say. Did you notice Waldo there? Yes. (laughs) That was brilliant. Which is why, I think, because at the end of this volume, you have a crossover event with Howard the Duck. And the art is not by her. And you can tell the difference. And I really did not like those. It didn't seem like Squirrel Girl. I think I'm just really too attached to Erica Henderson's art at this point. When it comes to Doreen, I don't know how I'm going to survive when she's no longer the artist. Inevitably, there will be a change, right? Because these people just keep just changing. You change artists um, in comics all the time. And I don't know how I'm going to cope with that when that eventually happens with Squirrel Girl. But I loved this volume. Not sure about Howard the Duck. Did you ever watch the movie? I used to love that movie so much. Yeah, I did. It was my cousin's favorite movie. I used to watch it so many times. I was confused about the romance in that movie as a kid. And I would watch the movie. And at one point, I turned to my grandmother and I was like, Grandma, how does the duck have sex with a lady? Not a good question for your grandmother. What did she say? Do you remember? She made us turn off the movie. And then she confiscated it from my cousin. And so my cousin got real angry at me. Always asking the wrong questions, Renee. Or should I say the right questions? I know. So yeah, this volume of Squirrel Girl had all the things I loved about it. It had Nancy and Doreen being great friends. It had Doreen solving problems. It had Doreen like launching people into swimming pools from atop tall buildings. Yes. And there was time travel. I didn't even mind the time travel. I didn't mind it. And very gloomy Doctor Doom. Which was hilarious. I always find Dr. Doomy hilarious for some reason. And awesome chats with Tony Stark. I think this comic is underrated for the friendship it has at the center of it between Nancy and Doreen. I don't think it gets enough attention for that friendship. They're like such good friends. And Ryan North and Erica Henderson just bring it across so great because they tease each other and they have these in-jokes. And they support each other like... The fact that Nancy was the only one who would remember the ring, it was the power of friendship, totally. Nancy was still close enough to be caught in the field, and only Doreen's best friend would be that close. Exactly. So there you go. And I just wish this got more attention for the great friendship between ladies that it has in it. I don't know if a lot of people know, because I think this comic kind of comes off a little campy, and the humor is not everybody's cup of tea. 
But even if the humor doesn't work for you, I just really think this friendship is worth reading this comic for. Because it's so good. It's so good. So how many Space Bees would you give Squirrel Girl Volume 3? I really didn't like the crossover, the two issues at the end. And because this is a volume, I feel like it needs to be judged too. So I'm giving it four Space Bees. I'm giving it seven. I'm going to time travel you back to the moment where you made this decision so that you can think it over and then so how many space bees renee seven still seven it didn't work shit the expanse is a sci-fi series based on the book series The Expanse by James S. A. Quarry. We watched the first season <laughs> because I peer pressured Anna into watching it. Yes, it did. Okay, time for the moment of truth. Did you like this show? I did, very much. Okay, this is the point at which I admit that I like the books way yeah. better than the TV show. Ha <laughs> <laughs> So that was, was going to be one of my questions for you, like how do they diverge? But I guess we can get to that a little bit later. The show's a little bit slow, but it's okay. I often like slow-moving shows, and I really appreciated how this one built up all the different threads separately until there is a huge convergence of the storylines towards the end. I thought that was really well done. I kept thinking, like, when are these people going to meet? How do their stories converge? And they do in the end. It was really well done. I like that there is parts space opera parts futuristic science fiction there's a lot of politics there's a lot of politics of oppression there's and then there's also a side of hard-boiled detectives and noir mysteries with miller and overall i really did enjoy it and i like the two female characters in the whole show mm-hmm i guess if you count tabby you could have three. Oh yes that's true yeah she appears here and there Avasarala does not appear in the first book at all. Oh, wow. So are you telling me that in the book, there is only one female character? I mean, no, there are other female characters because the book works a little differently than the first season of the show. But Naomi is a major female character in the first book. Naomi is awesome. I love her in the series. And I really like Avasarala too. That I love the actress. I find her so beautiful. I know. She's great. And I was really excited when they put her in the first season to improve the gender balance. Because mm. looking at the book, that first book is awful on representation. When I have people read the series, I'd have a lot of trouble getting them past that first book. They read it and they're like, this is trash. This is garbage. And I'm just like, okay. I'm, I mean, I know it's frustrating, but just try the second book. And then they read the second book and they're like, wow, this is great. What are you saying then is that the first season does not equate to the first book? No. So there are things from further books in the se first season? No, the first book they, don't, they haven't even finished. Wow. There's a huge piece is missing. Is it, it has something to do with what the girlfriend who died tried to say to Holden before she was exploded? No. I don't know. I don't know why they did that because that's never going to get resolved. Because Unless they just invent something for the series. Cause... There's, not, there's not in the books. Okay. I thought that was major. I, was, I, I kept waiting for that to be explained. But okay. Fine. Yeah. I have no idea why they did that. I mean, I guess to give something Holden to angst over. Well, I actually liked Holden better than Miller 
in the TV show because Miller to me was just like, why is this guy just so obsessed with this woman that he never knew? And it's all about this dead woman who's not dead. I know, but he doesn't know who's not dead. Julie, she's super dead. Isn't she going to be brought back to life? No. What do you mean? No, no, Julie is super dead. So that makes it worse. I thought she was still alive. I thought when they were, they, when they were reading out the thing that, is in her body i thought it had created like a symbiotic kind of thing and she would become julie plus this thing that's that's what i thought was happening i mean that's another reason that I, that I struggled to get people into the first book because it's basically they kill a girl in order to motivate a dude yeah exactly and so that's why i have a lot of trouble getting people through the first book because people are real tired of that trope it improves later on because more things come out in later books. I have no clue how the TV show is going to handle them. But in the first season, you have Julie basically getting stuck on Eros and waiting for somebody to come and help her and nobody comes to help her. She is basically a host for these scientists. They just use her. I mean, it's not the last time you're going to see Julie, but you won't see her alive. Oh my god, okay. Is she going to become a zombie? I cannot say. So the first season of the series ends before they deal with Eros. The first book deals with Eros. The first book wraps that storyline up. Right, okay. I don't know how they're going to handle it in season two. I haven't seen season two yet. I'm waiting for it to finish so I can just binge it all at once. Because like you, I find the TV show too slow. And I also find some of the TV show things they do to like create tension and drama kind of silly. In the books, I did not get this whole the team was against each other vibe that they put into the show. Like, they keep the characters at odds way longer than I think is useful. What's up with Amos? Is he a psychopath? Because it reads to me like he's like really dangerous, crazy psychopath who is obsessed with Naomi. I'm not going to spoil the books. Fuck. <laughs> nice try, though. Nice try. You would just have to read the books. Uh, They're only like 600 pages each. Oh, God. I want to go back and read the whole series because uh, I think that the seventh book comes out this year unless something terrible happens. But going back to my point about the characterization of the main team, half the reason that I love these books so much is because this team is like super, super tight-knit. And in the books, their relationship becomes way more close and full of trust than it does in the TV show. And they keep them at a distance from each other oh, like for way longer in the TV show than they do in the books. I understand why they do that because on TV it's a visual medium. It's different. You have to handle your characterization differently. But for me, it just makes the show feel tonally way different. Like I never can tell when the characters are going to explode at each other again. I was hoping for more friendship. A clear... Like, oh, these people are going to become this cool found family. Kind of like the long way to a small angry planet or Firefly, for example. I was expecting to get that vibe and I didn't. The first book has it. The first season does not. I also keep seeing essays and news talking about, is this the best show nobody's watching? Which just raises alarm bells that it might get cancelled pretty soon. No, they've already ordered a third season. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, then. Also, is this the best show that nobody's watching? Well, I don't... I would not call it the best show. No. 
I see. I saw so many essays saying that oh, this is the best science fiction show that nobody's watching. This is the science fiction that you wanted, and whatever. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Lower the excitement, guess just a little bit. If you lead with that, like people are gonna go into the show, and I don't think they're gonna find the same emotional connections if they're coming directly from the books. Maybe if if they're not coming directly from the books, it'll be okay. But I think that there's something missing from the show. And I can't put my finger on what it is. The two the two main leads are boring. Uh Miller gets way more interesting. I cannot wait for that. Of course I think I have to wait till like book three or something. So I have no it's gonna be like season four or something at this point. Who knows? But Miller gets way more interesting. Okay. <laughs> cannot wait. So do we recommend this show to people? I mean, I think it's a good space show. How many space bees would you give? Three. Yeah, I would give three and a pot of honey. It's really well cast. I really do love the cast. I think they did a great job. I was not sold on Wes Chatham at the beginning when they announced him for Amos. But I think he's really come through. It's been pretty great to watch him. And I'm like, yeah, you you get it. You get his character really well. I love the actress I got for Avastarala, whose name I will not pronounce, so I don't mangle it. And Naomi. She's great. I have no feelings about the guy who's playing Holton. Thumbs up, generic white guy. I mean, I don't know why I'm assuming he's white. He has eight parents, and it's never been clear who all his parents are. So he might not be a white guy. Mm. He might be mixed-raced. And I'm really yeah. curious about that. Because he's got eight parents, so we don't know who's part of his genetic mix. That's true. And they're actually doing a really great job characterizing him on the show as this like righteous asshole <laughs> who just like leaks information <laughs> without considering the consequences of what his information is going to do. Yeah. Uh, that's not the last time he does this, by the way. But he's just so earnest. And because I've thought about a lot about why I don't like Holden. And I think some of the reason is that, obviously, I'm tired of having like big space adventures where the generic dude gets to be the hero. That was my feeling, too. And I say if you like space shows, I would definitely check this out. It's very near... It's like it's near future, a hundred, couple hundred years... And it's extremely diverse in the background characters. Yeah. A lot. Like, you notice, and it's great. And they've finally done what I think that all shows, all movies need to do. You can kill your people of color in your show if there's not a problem of scarcity. And they do not have a scarcity problem in the show. True. So they've addressed it. So now you get this really rich, diverse world. And yeah, people are dying because... A war is about to start, but you don't feel like it's as oppressive because there's so many characters who are diverse. And so that's one great thing that this series has finally addressed. It could use more women, though. Yes. Don't worry. It gets better. That's why I tell everybody to make it to the second book. On the women and sexuality front, actually. Oh. So yeah, that's my reading of this. I'm going to go read the first book instead of rewatching the series. Sorry, first season. I'll see what I think when season two gets into my eyes. Okay, it's time for recommendations. Anna, what have you got for us? 
I read A Conjuring of Light by V. Schwab, and it's the last book in her Shades of London series. This book was amazing, and it also ends the trilogy really, really well. So I want to recommend the whole series because it's so good. And it has fantastic characters, full of queer characters, and lots of magic. And it ends superbly, not in a dark way. I don't want to spoil, but things do really end well. I hugged the book in the end. You only read the first one, right? Yes, I only read the first one. But you liked it. I liked the first one. I'm just not sure if I'm going to be happy with what she does to the ships in the book. Do you want me to tell you? No, don't tell me. That's a spoiler. I guess I'll just have to read the series and see. I I do have the second book with me, and maybe I'll get to it, you know, the next 18 zillion years. <laughs> what do you recommend? So recently, John Scalzi released a new novel called The Collapsing Empire, and he went on tour. I went to see him on one of his tour stops in Nashville. It was a four-hour drive. It was a very long drive. That's dedication, okay. It is. It is love. And at the event, he read from the upcoming book that he's going to publish next year called Head On, which is a sequel to Luck In. And obviously, I can't share anything about that because obviously that's not cool. I will tell everybody who has not read Lock In to go read Lock In and then put Head On on your to-be-read list right now. Just do it. Just go do it. So as part of Lock-In, apparently the world building, because the Haydens live inside their bodies, they invented a sport specifically for Hayden people who have the syndrome. He created the rules for the entire game. Wow. And because he created the game, he said, I have to use it somehow, so he's going to write a sequel. And that's all I can say without, like, ending up with red dots from the snipers that he sent after me. I... Almost fell out of my chair at the reading because I was leaning forward in suspense when he was reading from the first chapter. It sounds so good. I cannot wait to read it. However, that is not my recommendation. Oh, you sneaky, sneaky Renee. My recommendation is actually for The Collapsing Empire, the new book that just came out. The Collapsing Empire is about the interdependency and how they get around the interstellar space is by the flow, which is a little river of time, I guess, that they can hop in and out of and travel because they don't have faster than that travel. And the book is about what happens when the flow starts to disappear. It has amazing characters. I loved Kiva so much. I really think if you like really fast-paced political science fiction, this will be right up your alley. If you've never tried a John Scalzi book before, this would be a great place to start because there's not a lot to, there's no other books before this. This is a brand new thing and a brand new series. You have to have no other context and you can hop right in. Highly, highly recommended. So that's Rex. And normally we tell you what we're going to be reading and watching and discussing next time. But unfortunately, this is Anna's last regular episode before she goes off on Adventures to Brazil. We can't tell you yet what we're going to be discussing, but I will say that I will have a few guest episodes coming up so you can watch out for them. And we'll have a vault special sometime in late April, which is Stargate. So you can go watch Stargate right now to get prepared. And you, sh- you should really get prepared because that episode got intense. Yeah, I think we made each other cry. So intense. 
it's the end of episode 80, and we reached this point without having a fight. I'm counting it as a win. That's because I traveled back in time, but you don't know that because you don't have a memory of it. Of course, of course. Our music this week is by Box Cat Games and Chucky Beats. Our show art is by Ira. Our transcripts are by Susan, the transcription fairy. You can find links to all of their work in our show notes, plus information about the media we discussed. You can follow us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcast. Our email is fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com, and you can write to us anytime. If you like the show, tell a friend, share our show on your favorite social media, or support us on Patreon. Drink some water and contact your reps. And if you decide to go on a quest to save the world, please remember to be kind to your companions so that they can save your ass when you need it. Thanks for listening, Space Bees. See you next episode. Bye! season like if you look up at the trees you just see these huge globs of pollen just waiting to go somewhere and Guys. fall on my face Ugh, okay it's my hair your hair is making that noise hey how do you like what are you barking at dog we're trying to have a discussion here we got so philosophical i'm gonna end that segment right there end over it's over I'm gonna get the vagrants right now for the show. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. We're gonna talk about Squirrel Girl. With Donald the Duck. No, no, no. With Howard the Duck. I even wrote Donald the Duck. Listen, Renee, you gotta really, you gotta start working out again. This is not good. This is not a, this is not a good situation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's gonna be real, real fun for me to edit. Super. <laughs>